at Daniel, kind of like we looked at Joshua. Um, I want us to look at Daniel and maybe some of the things that made him a really good leader. Um, He was kind of in a different position than Joshua. He came hundreds of years after Joshua. So we could say that times were changed, right? Joshua was bringing Israel into the land that they were going to live in. Meanwhile, Daniel, being an Israelite, wasn't living in that land anymore. In fact, Israel had lost that land, uh, so to speak, with invading nations because of Israel's own unrighteousness. They had not lived up to the covenant they made with the Lord, and the Lord told them in the covenant, if you don't, I'm going to have other people come take these blessings from you. And so that's kind of the day and age that Daniel lived in. People didn't continue to walk in the leadership of Joshua after he passed away. We know that they failed the Lord in their covenant. And so Daniel is actually, we might say, one of the first to experience uh, what it was to live in slavery to another nation after Egypt. Um, And so he kind of is raised in that setting. So let's, let's pick up in Daniel chapter 1. If you haven't already turned there, feel free to turn to Daniel chapter 1. Um, and that's where we're going to start. So unlike Joshua, I'm not going to focus in on one characteristic of Daniel. I'm going to focus in on four. Uh, it's just the way I decided to do this. Um, but I think you could pick one characteristic and spend a good study on that. Um, but I want to focus in on four that I think made Joshua an effective leader. But let's, little, let's talk a little bit about his leadership. Just what position was he in in the first place? Daniel, uh, in Daniel chapter 1, look at verse 17. Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. So, just kind of cherry-picking these verses out of the book of Daniel here at the very beginning, we see that Daniel um, is held in esteem or in high regard by the, the nation that has kind of taken Israel over, right? Daniel's kind of picked up along with three of his friends, his, we might say, buddies or colleagues, however you want to say that, his fellow countrymen. And Daniel's picked because he has wisdom, Wisdom from God, right? He has visions and dreams that God is giving him and allows him to understand the meaning of. We certainly see how that plays out in specific stories in Daniel's life, right? But it's not that he was taken into captivity and then lost among the shuffle of people. He's seen as being a wise and godly man. And so he's esteemed even within uh, his invading nation. He's even given a position of influence and of power. In fact... He's influencing the king of the invading nation. It says that this guy would go to him, and he found him more, way more useful than the guys of his own country, right? Ten times, in fact, is what it specifically says. So I think it's interesting that Daniel is not in a place that he probably feels like he should be in, 
right? He doesn't probably want to be in Babylon. If he could choose, being a godly man, he would say, I want to be in the land that God gave us. You can imagine him saying that. But here he is in Babylon, and he's still in a position of leadership, of influence. Um, We see that and laid out for us specifically in chapter 2, if you would turn to verse 48. Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are those same three friends from before, given Babylonian names, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained where? At the king's court. So we're given a little more insight as specifically maybe some of the influence and power he was given is he's made over all of Babylon, the chief city among this empire, right? That's no small honor. And in fact, he's given so much honor and power, he's allowed to appoint uh, appoint kind of like a cabinet, right? Some helpers. And he appoints those three other guys that were mentioned from chapter 1. In Daniel's life, though, he didn't just serve under one invading nation. He served under another um, we, we sometimes refer to this as the Medo-Persian Empire. They kind of bleed together in some ways, the Medes and the Persians. Um, in chapter 6, if you would look there, just glance there with me for a moment. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it said, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. No matter what was going on in the world, right? kingdoms come and go, kings come and go, Daniel seemed to always be put in a position of leadership always seem to be standing above the rest, right? And I don't mean that he's like the tallest guy in the room, but his character lifted him above the other people, right? And so I think Daniel's a good person. And I bring all this up just to say that Daniel is an excellent person to go to and say, like, what made him such a good leader? You know, what made him someone that even worldly people said, I'm going to follow this guy's advice, right? So that's kind of what I want to spend our time talking about this morning. And I appreciate James reading Matthew chapter 4 for us because throughout this lesson, I want to keep drawing the parallel to us. As Christians, are we kind of in a similar place of influence? Are we in positions of uh, influence and leadership? Now, some of us may have more of that because maybe in our job, we're also in that position of leadership. Or maybe in our school, we're a leader or whatever. But minimally, as Christians, God expects us to be some kind of leader, and we're going to talk about that some more as we go through this. Um, Matthew chapter four, a city set on a, or chapter five, verse fourteen, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So I think there's two things that we can deduce from that: it cannot, it's not gonna be hidden, and we could say shouldn't be. Its natural order is that it's not hidden. A city set on a hill is not so that it could be a surprise when you get to the top of the hill, right? You can see it a long way off. You know it's there. It cannot be hidden. And that's how Christians are to be, in a sense, 
we're to be seen, we're not to be hidden. Um, God uses that text as well to also describe us as salt and light, right? Things that have a very specific purpose. Um, And when they lose that purpose, if the light is hidden, that seems counterintuitive, right? Why Why would you light a light and then hide it? Why would I buy salt and then hope it's not really salty, right? It doesn't serve its function as a preserver or as a flavor. Right? Christians are that way. So we do have some influence. Look in Titus chapter 2, and then we'll go back to Daniel, just to kind of emphasize this point again. Titus chapter 2. Titus 2 verse 6 reads, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior." Um, this is just one little excerpt from this chapter. There's a lot of places that you could go in the New Testament that show no matter what position you find yourself in life, you have some leading to do, right? Like, do you think of a slave as a leader? Not really, right? At least I don't. I don't think, oh, a slave, he's a leader. That's a leadership position. But if you're a Christian and you're a slave, you have some leading to do. In fact, he says, you're to be submissive in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Even a slave in their position shows something to people around them. And they can show that they have good faith in everything that they're adorning the doctrine of God. Um, I don't know if anyone quite relates in this room to being a slave. I think sometimes as as employees, we feel like slaves. Maybe that's the closest we get. But even in that position, right, we can show people that we adorn the doctrine of God, right? Traditionally not a position of leadership, but God makes it that way when you're a Christian. So, again, let's turn back to Daniel. Now that we've seen that Daniel was in a position of leadership, and he's someone we can look to because he was given power, and as Christians, we can relate to that uh, in some way. Let's, let's look at the specific ways Daniel was a good leader. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. I would suggest to you the first way that Daniel was a leader, and that we as Christians really should mimic his leadership, is in his purpose. You know, a good leader is always driven by a vision, Right? A good leader has a vision of what they want to accomplish, and they can rally people to accomplish that vision, right? That's, in a lot of ways, what, to us, makes a good leader. Well, Daniel had a vision, if you will. He had a purpose that he was living for and toward. And you could say he was probably trying to rally people to that cause, right? Look at (coughs) chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. 
And it goes on to continue to say in verse 10 that the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear the Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So the, the position that Daniel's in as an Israelite, there's some things that he knows he probably doesn't need to eat, right? There's some things he doesn't want to partake in. He doesn't want to look like the Babylonians, I think, is a big part of this. But also he knows there's just some probably some functionally different dietary things that he's involved with. Whatever his reasoning is, whether this is like a violation of some of God's laws in eating or whether he doesn't want to partake in the same dissipation that maybe that's going on at these feasts, whatever his reason is, he feels it's going to defile him, right? Whatever the specifics are, Daniel sees this as a defilement of him, of his person. And so he requests not to be involved in that. Well, the guy that's kind of in charge of Daniel's like, are you trying to get me in trouble, right? I'm paraphrasing. You're trying to get my head to the king, right? Well, we know the story (laughs) unfolds, and Daniel makes a proposition. As he continues, he says, verse 12, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. I think this shows Daniel's purpose. His purpose wasn't ever to just do what the crowd's doing, right? If he had done that, he would have been eating and drinking with the rest of them. Um, But Daniel was interested in keeping himself pure, keeping himself dedicated to God. Now, he does accommodate this guy. He doesn't want this guy to suffer harm at his hand, right? And so he says, well, why don't you more or less give this a test run? Right, evaluate us at the end of the 10 days if you don't see it going well we can make some sort of change here and we know the story goes they do it and Daniel looks better really than everyone else around him and I think this shows us even though it's maybe not explicit like God wanted him to do this I think it shows us his purpose from the beginning is not to do things the way the world does them his interest is in staying holy his interest is being set apart His interest is not the world's interest, right? And so I think this is an indication, and we could go to a bunch of other places even within the book of Daniel and point to this kind of same thing. But right from the beginning is why I picked this. He was determined to serve a purpose greater than the world's purpose for him. The world's purpose was to be pleasing to to Babylon. His purpose was to be pleasing to God. I think as Christians, uh, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, we have the exact same purpose. It manifests itself maybe not with us being brought before an invading king (laughs) and being presented a meal that we have to choose to (coughs) eat or not eat. I don't think many of us are going to see that, if any of us. But look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things would be added to you. I think if you were going to go to one kind of just super simple purpose statement of a Christian, you'd be, you could say fairly it's to seek the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that there, are other, there aren't other good verses that share more insight or different insights into kind of that idea, but this one I think is a simple one to say we're not seeking the kingdoms of men. We're not seeking worldly things we're seeking the kingdom that is God's the place where God is reigning right 
Daniel had that vision. It never comes out and says, Daniel sought the kingdom of God, not of Babylon. But you can't read the book of Daniel and conclude anything but that. And so I think that's the first thing that we see in Daniel that made him a good leader, that set him above everyone else. And people noticed he wasn't here to serve us. He's serving God. He's serving that kingdom. And that's what made him valuable. And I think as Christians, that's what makes us a good leader, is that people see we're serving a kingdom greater than this one. We're serving God. The second thing that I would point to uh, are are the principles of David. We could go to the same thing. He was not going to defile himself with that meal, right? Very principled in his stand. And obviously the principle was a godly one. It wasn't just one that he arbitrarily decided. He said, I'm not going to eat and drink in the same way that those guys are. It's not right. I would defile myself. It was a very principled stand. But if you want to, even turn to a little bit later in the book in chapter 6, verse 10, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Another insight into Daniel's principles here. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this is speaking of this decree to pray towards this big, uh, I don't know the best way to say this, but to pray towards like this statue or this idol or whatever it was. Um, Daniel knew that that document, that that decree had gone out. It had been signed. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. (laughs) I think Richard made this point more or less a year ago, Um, but I'm going to bring it up again, that David's principle here shows why or gives us reason to see that he's a good leader. When the world is saying... You need to pray to this thing, and you need to pray at this time. And it's contrary to praying to God, or it's contrary to God's ways. Daniel doesn't shake or flake out on his commitment to God. And as Richard pointed out, I think it was whenever he talked about this from Daniel chapter 6, this wasn't apparently something new for Daniel. It wasn't like this was some rebellious spirit of his that said, you know, they've created this decree you know what, I'm just going to defy it, and I'm going to pray to God right here, right now, as he had done previously. His habit, his principle was to pray to God three times a day, face the land that he had promised them, and pray to God. And so David was very principled in this. He knew communicating with God was important, no matter if the law changed not in favor of that. Right? Very principled. We as Christians, we share a similar purpose as Daniel. If we're going to be leaders, if we're going to be leading as a Christian, I need to be seeking the kingdom of God, as we said. But I also need to have principles, right? It's not any good for me to seek the kingdom of God but not have any kind of uh, uh, meaning or value on that, right? If it's just this... uh, whimsical idea of I'm seeking the kingdom of God but I don't have any principle to me then what is that really Um, look in uh, Matthew chapter 5 Matthew chapter 5 if you want to hold your place in Daniel we're going to keep coming back here Uh, Matthew chapter 5 
Let's just read the first 11 verses here. And I think this is just laying out principles of a kingdom citizen. If we're a kingdom of God, this is kinds of things that we're going to see. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. That's speaking of Jesus. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted or who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, I picked one sequence of verses out of probably many. When you heard me say Christians should be principled, have something to take a stand on, you might have even thought of your own verse in your head when I said that. But this is just one sequence that shows us that if we're disciples, that is to say Christians, that is to say kingdom citizens, right, then we have principles. And Jesus points to maybe some of these, right? Poor in spirit, is that a principle you live on? Believing that those who are have the kingdom of heaven. Are you someone who realizes that mourning In a lot of ways, God talks about that as being a good thing, a better thing. Because what happens when you mourn? In God, he shows comfort, right? Blessed are the meek, that is to say the lowly or the gentle. Do the lowly and gentle in the world's eyes inherit the earth? But God says they do, right? We could go through this list, but we see principles, Ones that are, in a lot of ways, contrary to the world's principles or world's thoughts about things. But we could see, when we read this, that Christians, like Daniel, have stances, have principles. We might even say have standards, right? So, Daniel, if we're going to lead like Daniel, we're to have purpose, a godly one, seek the kingdom. We're going to have principles, right? Like Daniel, he prayed, we can pray, we can be holy, we can be merciful, all those things. We'd also uh, share in Daniel's purity. Uh, Again, we could turn to chapter 1, where he didn't want to defile himself, but let's look in chapter 6 of Daniel again. Daniel chapter 6, let's read the first four verses of this chapter. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king may suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. Verse 4, Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. 
Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Right? When people were seeking a reason to speak ill of Daniel, not just they happened to find one, they sought it out and they couldn't uncover anything. Right? Now one might say, well, he did a really good cover-up there, you know, like... But he, there was nothing to find. We know as the story of Daniel unfolds, there really is nothing to find. The only thing that they find is him in violation of the law of the land, not praying to the idol when they say to. Right? That's the only violation that they can find, which we know is really no violation at all. I think this shows Daniel's purity, Right? It's one thing to have a purpose. It's another thing to have principles. But what happens when you don't live to your purpose and you don't live to your principles? Well, we would call that hypocrisy, right? And we're all about spotting that. Like, we don't listen to people who are hypocrites. That's an instant, like, no-go. You have no weight anymore. You're worthless, right? But the beautiful thing about Daniel's leadership is that that didn't exist. The way that he led... In purpose, and the way that he led in principle, when somebody put a magnifying glass on his life, it all made sense. It all held up. He was living by the things that he was leading, right? Absolutely true, or it should be, of Christians, right? If we're a disciple of Jesus, we can't be a hypocrite. We can't have his purpose and his principles and then not live by that stuff, right? If we're going to be leaders, we've got to live by that stuff. People don't look to leaders who are hypocrites. People look to leaders who are true to their leadership. I think we understand that in the workplace, right? Um, I worked in a place in Birmingham, and, and this isn't a bad story about my boss. It's actually a good story. Very, like, demanding boss, not in a mean way, but just had high expectations. Like, wanted you to have good bedside manner and, like, actually know what you were talking about and do all the things down the line, like, perfectly. And it was frustrating because that was hard. And I remember just, like, complaining about it to a coworker and just thinking, like, man, this is so frustrating that we have to do all this stuff. It takes so much time. I know it's the right way to do it, but, like, if we didn't have to do this, we could save on doing this and this and this. But every time, like, and she was in a manager's position, obviously, but every time she would come to the floor to help out, she did all that stuff and stayed on schedule. It was so frustrating because I wanted her not to be able to do that. But when she did that, the two or three times I ever saw her do that, because she didn't do that very often, it was like, okay, I had to shut up. Like, she did it, and she could do it, and she expected us to do it, right? And that's how Daniel was. Like, he led in purpose, and he led in principle, but he led in purity. He was what he was leading. Christians need to do that. Look in uh, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And we'll just look at uh, verse 5 here. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, In these you too once walked 
when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And he continues with another list of things here. The idea is, yeah, sure, like we've all come from this kind of stuff, right? If we weren't doing these things, we wouldn't have needed saving, right? Now that you're a Christian, the idea is that you're supposed to have come out of this stuff. Now that's not to say we're perfect, right? But you don't live a life characterized by these qualities, right? You don't live this way anymore. You used to walk in this stuff. You don't walk in this stuff anymore. As a Christian, we can't be hypocrites. We can't say the purpose is the kingdom of heaven, is to seek out God's will. And I'm going to stand on the principles of seeking that out, which is mercy or blessed are those who mourn. All these principles that Jesus gives us, and then yet here we are still walking in sexual immorality and impurity and passions and evil desires and greediness or covetousness. And then we're still walking, as in verse 8, anger, wrath, and malice. My life is still characterized by slander and obscene talk. Well, what good is my leadership? Well, Daniel shows us that it's no good. My leadership is worthless if I don't live what I'm trying to lead. And the last thing that I think Daniel shows us in his life is, of course, his prayerfulness. Uh, We looked at that example in Daniel chapter 6. I'll just read the verse again. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this is verse 10, he went to his house where the windows in the upper chamber were open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. His life, and really the pattern of his life, was marked by prayer. I mean, even in his day, I don't know what these three times a day were. It's easy for me to assume morning, afternoon, night, because that seems like a natural three to me. Who knows what these three times a day are, really? But even his day was marked by prayer. He had his first prayer. He had his second prayer. And he had his third prayer. And Scripture even says he did it all the time. He did it previously. When the law of the land changed where that wasn't really a lawful thing to do. It wasn't new to him, though. He kept doing it all the time. There's other instances in the book of Daniel where he prays to God. Um, But I think Daniel shows us purpose. He sought out the things of God, not of the things of Babylon or the Persians or whatever kingdom may be coming in. He showed the principles of God. He showed, um, as I was saying, the purity of God. But he also showed prayer, or the prayerfulness. As a Christian, I think that one's also a no-brainer, right? Um, I'll point to just a couple verses here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, verses 17 through 18, or verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Daniel certainly did that. He gave thanks. Specifically in that verse, it says he gave thanks, even though there was just a decree signed and made that he was probably going to be punished for what he was doing. 
but in prayer he gave thanks. And I think that ver- this verse is showing that Christians are supposed to mimic that. Right? Also, Colossians chapter 4. I'll just read this verse quickly. You don't have to turn there. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 reads, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, that's just one verse. There's a whole book of Colossians that surrounds that that gives us a little more context and meat to that. But do you think Daniel continued steadfastly in prayer? I think chapter 6, verse 10 shows us that his life was that. No matter what was going on, a lot of changing and coming and going and kings coming in and out and presidents coming in and out and satraps coming in and out, life changing to and from. The consistency of his life was prayer, three times a day, facing Jerusalem at the upper window, right? He continued steadfastly in prayer. Um, I think Christians should be marked by that same kind of life. I think, and I'm not trying to make a case for, hey, you need to pray specifically three times a day, but whatever it is in your life, if it is three times a day, five times a day, two, whatever, whatever it is in your life that you can look at yourself honestly and say, I'm continuing steadfastly in prayer. I'm being watchful in it, and I'm giving thanksgiving to God. Then do that thing, whether that's five or ten or twenty or three, whatever. Mark your life by prayer like Daniel. And I think not all of us want to be in positions of leadership. I know some of us like that. Our personality is geared towards that. We want to be leaders. But some of us are kind of like leadership, like, whoa, that's not my thing, right? Like, I'm more of like the, the diligent worker or the follower or whatever. The life of a Christian doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be in front of hordes and hordes of people giving speeches and setting the goals for a team. But in your own life, you are a leader of sorts. Whether you're ever in front of crowds or not, people see you. People see you interact. People see the way you talk. People see your priorities. People see your principles. And in that way, you're leading. So I don't want us to think about leadership as necessarily standing behind this thing and talking to everybody at once. But a Christian is a leader, just as God showed us that he expected even the slave that was a Christian to be a type of leader, ordaining the gospel, the word of God. And so all of us need to be a type of leader like Daniel. So if we're going to be that type, we need to share in Daniel's purpose, his principles, his purity, and his prayer. So I'd encourage you this morning, if you're not a Christian, that's something that you need to figure out. That's something that God wants you to be. He wants you to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus was certainly pleasing to God, And so if we want to be pleasing to God, we need to model ourselves after Jesus. So that's something we can maybe help you with this morning if if you haven't done that. Talk to people, ask people to point you in the right way as far as the Bible is concerned. But if maybe you are a Christian and you haven't done the best job with this stuff, maybe you've kind of fallen off the bandwagon, so to speak, tell somebody. There's no better group of people than other Christians to encourage you, to pray for you, to talk to you, maybe set up a time where maybe you can talk about it some more in ways you've fallen short and try to get you kind of 
going the right direction again, because we all have those times. Um, if we're all honest about it, we all have our highs and our lows, right? Well, maybe you're just in a low right now, and you need prayers and you need encouragement. That's something we'd be happy to, to do for you today. Whatever your needs may be spiritually, if you want to make them known to us now, while Richard leads this song, might be a good time to reach out to somebody beside you and ask for that. Thank you, Richard.